Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I'm Joe Whitney, and with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Hey, not much, man. Glad to be back. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a long hiatus. Had a lot going on these uh, past several months. Yeah, dude. Yeah, life. You know, it's been uh, been pretty crazy. I mean, the industry, I know itself, has picked up, you know, as we're coming out of COVID. So we definitely picked up quite a bit there. But it's been uh, it's been kind of cool. Yeah, the work uh, has de- the work side has definitely gone crazy, uh, but then the family side on top of it, you know, uh, yeah. my kids are in daycare, so it seems like every other week they got a cough or COVID or flu or something. Uh, just a lot going on, man. And you, dude, you added to your family, man. I did, dude. I did. We had Lily, uh, Lily Marie, November thirtieth. Congrats, congrats, yeah, man. Thank you very much. Um, wait, you said November 30th, August, good Lord, yeah. November 30th. What am I, I was like, I'm thinking she's not born yet, man. <laughs> I'm thinking of Rose's birthday and shit. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. My, oh, my youngest is, uh, right around, uh, I guess Rose's birthday then. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool, man. Yeah. A lot going on, dude. And now you're getting ready to move again and, uh, yeah, dude. busy lives, dude. Yeah, um, man, selling the house. You know, it was a uh, it was kind of cool though in this house because I got to work with a realtor who, you know, they use a Matterport scanner, and they actually for you know taking pictures and stuff they incorporate the scan, and they actually build a floor plan like it's a two D kind of floor plan from the scan, and then they do a full three D walkthrough on the uh, on the the listing. Yeah, I didn't have a Matterport on mine, but that's pretty cool. We did do a drone, but a Matterport would have been cool having that dollhouse view. Yeah, dude, it was it's pretty cool to see the uh the technology that we talk about a lot and we work with, you know, obviously in construction some are using Matterport, but a lot of them use different types of drones and scanners like the big terrestrial scanners and everything. It's kind of cool to see how it it works into, you know, your everyday life, you know. We 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 talked about this quite a few episodes ago with the the iPhone mobile scanners and stuff now, but seeing how it's tying into realty and, you know, literally just all everything that you can, you can do pretty much every day to see different people utilizing this technology. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think the more, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, not commercialized, but, uh, getting, getting it into consumerized, like getting into more consumers hands as opposed to, um, just uh, using you know, it for construction, like or one. Yeah, part, like, yeah, well, yeah. Well, more more consumers getting it in instead of commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely makes makes life a little bit uh, easier. It makes the software more or the software and hardware more um, um, available and easier to afford and that sort of stuff. Yeah, dude. Well, and I know this is going to work into something we're going to talk about today, anyways. But uh, the other piece about that that I wanted to say is something else becoming consumer consumerized, I guess, um, more mainstream is automation. Like I was watching Thursday night football last night. I was watching the Houston's and Eagles game. And uh, that was actually a pretty good game for a while. But as I'm sitting there, watch the game, watching the game, this commercial pops up. I think it was like MailChimp or something. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And I just, I was like, what the heck? And I started looking into it more and, you know, they have automation in so many different points. Of course, it's kind of more focused towards emails, email, yeah, data points, but still, like, I mean, I started thinking about it. I'm like, man, the automation that we're seeing today that become more commercialized, even even for or not commercialized, I wanted to say uh, consumerized, right? Consumerized. Like there's apps out there for, you know, like your phone and stuff that you can start automating different things. We uh, talked about this before. 
Yeah, there was a company. I think they went out of business, or maybe they got acquired. It was called Ift. If this, then that. Yep. If yep. you had any uh, routines in your house, so talking about a consumer-specific, Mailchimp's more commercial, but a yeah. consumer-specific. If you were at home and you wanted your lights to pop on when you got into your driveway, you can set a routine so that um, either at a specific time when you would get home, it would have your lights on a timer, or um, it would sense based on your phone's GPS where you were at. And, you know, if you were pulling in your driveway, it would automatically turn on your lights. You know, if your you know, dryer sucked up, your refrigerator, your, your, your you know, water stuff. I don't know, but you can control all yeah. this sort of stuff and have it all part of you could have, you know, your devices playing your favorite music when you get in. And uh, yeah. but anyways, do automate all this stuff. It was it was kind of cool. Um, it is. It's awesome to see how how we can get everything to integrate. You know what I mean? It, I started trying to think about like what I would use it for, and that's kind of hard to think about like other than my job, right? At this point, what would I use automation on my phone or for my computers? Like maybe setting reminders or something like automatically creating reminders when I create a calendar event or you know something like that might work. But I, I don't I don't know how it's going to fully translate in yet but i'm full i'm really really excited to see how it does so on the consumer side a lot of that's been uh part of the big issue is trying to find um meaningful apis that people actually want you know want to go through the trouble of activating all that stuff and some of these acquisitions that have happened from uh amazon you know all around us talking about what is the little robot vacuum cleaner things the maps oh yes, yes now the it's irobots sharp yeah it's just another API. thing for them to integrate have the apis plugged in so that you know your house is clean by the time you get home or something and it's all anyways it's all about connecting these and, and leveraging the different apis that are available and you know you've actually been dabbling quite a bit down this rabbit hole for apis uh, again something we'll chat about a little bit later um there's you know seems to be quite a big disconnect with not just on the consumer side, but on the commercial side, uh, APIs and sharing data. And we all talk about this platform that can do everything. And, and, and our listeners have heard us talk about this specifically, the platforms that can, you know, that we push people to the mm -hmm. ACC, the BIM Collaborate Pros, the, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we were like, oh, well, they can't be everything to anybody. And here's these integrations on the back end. Well, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to play friendly with competitor products, only friendly products. And that seems to be an issue where we get into or Maybe they weren't thinking outside of their specific niche, and maybe there's uh, a site contractor who wants access. Well, how do you integrate and all that sort of stuff? So it seems to be dude, yeah. quite a bit going on there. But uh, Yeah, dude, that actually leads us right into our first topic, too. Honestly, that was a perfect transition there, man. Nice. Yeah, man. I like <laughs> to find these little uh, segues, man. The, the whole uh, connective uh, construction, something that we've talked about, harped on about. It's actually become a buzzword, and we're supposed to take a shot. By the way, I'm not drinking <laughs> right now. I've got COVID, and I just don't want to exacerbate anymore. I'm already tired. Oh, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, connected construction just become one of these uh, meaningless um, buzzwords that people throw out, like BIM. Like, oh, we do BIM. No, you might do 3D coordination, or you might have a 3D model. What is the level of detail in that model? Is yeah. this, you know, data map to further downstream is the owner's deliverable tied to the data that's in this model or is it just a 3d representation so you can get a clash clash report or is it just something for your marketing website so you could throw yeah, it's it a up visualization yeah, yeah exactly man i get into so many of these conversations with companies and they'll tell me we do bim and i'm like okay but what part of bim do you do what what piece <laughs> of bim are you using because you don't like you can't just say i do bim <laughs> Okay. It's like saying, we do the internet. Oh, okay, what do you do on the internet? Oh, there, gosh. Somebody should make a um, uh, Steve Carell from Anchorman, I Love Lamp, mm -hmm. just do I Love Bim uh, sort of thing. That is amazing. I feel like that. Like Whenever somebody says that, it's like, yeah, we do Bim. just reminds Dude, me that of, is a perfect of that, swag that idea. character. Yeah. That is a perfect swag idea. I'd, I'd wear that's that a on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's a t-shirt for sure. Now. <laughs> I brought that. Yeah, or at least a coffee cup. <laughs> so, for our listeners, I guess we should start off. So, we're we're going to talk about connecting data. We're going to talk about BIM for the field, and this is you know going to get a little boring to some of our office BIM guys. But 
it really does play into the way that we connect data and the way that we map data. And I just want to, you know, as we close out, I do want to set the set the stage and talk a little bit about AUs and Bluebeam stuff because there's been a lot going on in the six there's eight months. A lot. Yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah. Acquisitions. Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, Acquisitions. I mean, new new releases. Like, of course, you know, like you said, we're going to talk about the Bluebeam. We get into the cloud there and kind of talk about finally how they've brought you know, their acquisitions of Atlas and, you know, oh gosh, the other one was, uh, Project well, Rover. I want to say Project Rover. Yeah. 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 That wasn't an acquisition, but it's still, I mean, come on, it's been old in the tooth and it was time to actually bring it in full circle. Yes. But yes, let's, let's circle back though. And let's talk about, uh, this, uh, mapping data. So you've been going through this process working with heavy civil contractors, and I don't want to spill too much about what you're doing, but I do want to talk about like some of the pitfalls of it, right? So there's project management solutions out there, there's BIM, but how does this data make its way to the field, and how does the field actually know what data they need? Um, what are what has been uh, some of the you know, let me play uh, um, you know host here and ask you some questions <laughs> if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, what is some of the data the the so like going into this? Let's just talk about you know, what you anticipated versus what you actually found they actually needed. So like going in, what did you anticipate? Like they just want to see everything or, or what, yeah. what your so thought going in? Going in, dude, you know, I have this whole idea of BIM, you know, like coordination. And, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, that'd be, you know, that'd kind of be great for civil contractors. But at the same time, um, from my experience, you know, utilizing heavy equipment, I did not have um, controllers. I didn't have a screen. You know, I didn't have the actual GPS mounting and stuff. But when I was using the, the equipment, I wanted to know what I was doing. I was working in my area on my task. And I didn't really want to see a lot of the stuff. or I didn't want to pay attention to a lot of the other stuff. One, it's distracting. But two, you know, I was also kind of thinking it might be good to focus. And one of the big things I thought for civil contracting and really getting this data out to the field is, you know, yeah, one, yeah, let me let me interject oh. real quick. When we say civil contracting, uh, we're talking about heavy uh, civil contractors, specifically um, uh, dirt movers, excavation, dirt movers, earth yeah, movers, road yep. paving, anything. Yep. Yeah, I just, yeah. just wanted okay. to set the uh, the definition there because. Civil, you know, contractor people think, you know, a uh, civil engineer, a landscaper could be a civil contractor in, in, in yeah. the broadest of terms. Oh, the, ter the term civil goes so far. It starts to go into, you know, infrastructure. There, there, there's Our industry ways. terms are so, so <laughs> they need an overhaul, man. Yeah, right, right. Um, but, dude, so I've been having quite a few conversations, you know, and um, I thought one of the biggest hurdles would be literally getting the data out to the field, right? A lot of, a lot of people I talk to um, let me know that they're still, some of them are actually still running the thumb drives. They're loading the data onto a thumb drive, and then they take it out to the actual machine, put it in the controller, upload the files, or they'll get remote support where somebody can, you know, log into their piece of equipment and send files over. Dude, okay. the sneaker network is alive and well, man. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so, you know, one, my mind there instantly goes to the cloud. I'm like, obviously the cloud is a good solution for this. Now, some I've talked to have started the transition to the cloud because they see the benefit. Um, but one big thing that I've learned there is yes, they want the data to go to the cloud, but the data not only has to go up to the cloud, it has to be formatted in a way that when it goes into the piece of equipment, that piece of equipment can translate it, right? But not only the, the translation is is only one piece of it, you know, pulling in the lines, pulling in the, the surface, like the, the data there, that's that's one piece of it. The second big part is coordination, like actually like having the actual coordinate data inside of that file so it knows where to localize or it knows where it is, right? And um, I mean, it, it's been interesting because one thing that I've learned with this, and I did not really see this going in, I'm, I'm just, I will be honest with you guys, I, and this is the assumption, right? You assume you, uh, you make an ass out of you and me, right? But um, essentially, I was assuming that like the civil industry, you know, like I said, coming from BIM, 
we are starting to see more BIM standards, right? We're seeing more BIM standards. We're seeing uh, like file file standards. We start seeing the IFC that can go across multiple, even if they're competitors, you know, they're, the, the file format can translate. Now, the way that it translates, the amount of data to come with it, okay, yes, we're still working on, we're still working on that, but it's getting better. Now, what I've learned is that in, in the heavy civil industry, there is no standard. There's no, there's no file format that can actually go between the different manufacturers. Like if you're using TopCon or if you're using Trimble or if you're using, you know, uh, Leica, any of those other manufacturers, each of them have their own data type, their own data format, right? Yeah, I mean, you could dumb it down to its, you know, three basic elements and send that data, but still somebody has to parse it and make sure that, you know, well, it's clean up enough. Only, yes, but not only do they have to parse it, they have to actually bring, it's almost like when we get these scans, you know, and we got to bring them into recap so we can bring it all together and then essentially push it out in a way that another uh, like Revit, AutoCAD, or if you're going into Edgewise, or essentially into, into a format that another program can take, they still have to do that. Even if I send them, you know, the line file, the surface file and the coordinates, they would still need to bring it in to something to merge that data together right, to be able to bring that data together and then put it in that file format for that piece of equipment. Now, yes, you can utilize like a DWG. Most of the time I've been finding that that is one of the kind of standardized kind of file formats. Um, but even that, that the DWG itself won't work on some pieces of equipment. Yeah, and we've got, we've got a lot of uh, DOT type jobs where they'll hand a DGN Yep. They still can't get the data from, and I feel like this is probably a good reason why companies like uh, Dirt Logic exist because um, they take you know that headache out of it. Customers, you know, they just don't want to deal with it. They've got millions of dollars of I in iron, and you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in GPS units and uh, controllers and all that stuff. The last thing you want to do is assume the risk of actually creating the model and stuff. But yep. Um, sharing the file should should be easy right like so even if it you should be. alleviate that risk how do they share that file to you you know the good old sneaker network where somebody's running it out to the job site seems seems like we got to move away from that and we got to come up with some kind of standard you know like the ifc you know dbi yes. has got ifc stuff going well, and you, you think know. about the technology that those pieces of equipment are utilized like the gps equipment that is on a dozer or an excavator they have accuracy. right do they have satellites that tell them exactly where they are and it is very high accuracy yeah. and i'm like you would think that with the networks that we have available that this would already be a possibility that a lot of people would be realizing you know we need to go into the cloud but it it, it just it has it is not i mean it's it's almost like construction in itself now we're starting to see you know bim really pick up and and the ways that we can use bim with model-based asset tracking and things like that. That is, you know, that stuff's kind of picking up and becoming uh, a little more forefront, but we're still seeing, um, still seeing a huge lag in our industry for that, for really trying to adopt that technology. Yeah, it seems to be um, people are starting to become averse to BIM, not, yep. not because of the practices of it, just because of the buzzword, the yep. terminology. It becomes, you know, daunting. And I feel like that's why Autodesk did the whole rebrand with their products. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they've obviously been way more successful since the rebrand. You know, changing the name from oh, yeah. 360 to Autodesk Construction Cloud allowed them to um, not alienate a market who uh, a market who's an in, in industry segment who says, oh, we only work in 2D. Yeah. Um, and BIM just, you know, doesn't do what we want. Well, well, it's just called BIM. It actually does more. It's like, well, that's yeah. great. But you, you've alienated me already. So, Dude. like. You know, you're, that's you're like on it with the segues, man. I think that like leads perfectly into talking about like <laughs> it's almost like and... I try for this stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, a lot of times if we, you know, you and I talk about construction information modeling because it's all one site, right? Yeah. But you talk to a lot of people and they think BIM is just vertical construction, like just the building. It is just the building. It's the structure, well, maybe. Well, buildings. The B stands for building. That's that's yes. why. But 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 really, it encompasses everything leading up to it. Even uh, I've exactly. heard electrical contractors. Um, uh, you know, they they were talking to me about how the site utilities were never coordinated or given to them 
uh, going up to the building, but they were only responsible for the building up. It's like, well, wouldn't you care where the site utilities are located? Like, isn't that part of this? Right, um, exactly. That would be part. I would think that would be part of the design. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little like I don't know. Like, there's some there's a lot of like you know finger pointing in the industry, and it, it's, until we come together on uh, cross standardization, and I don't think it's just you know file formats like IFC. It's got to be more mm-hmm. than that. Like, just a common mm-hmm. common way to do business and uh, open communication, because I think that's the biggest thing. It's communication and construction is is the only way that this is going to work. Definitely. I mean, it's it's huge. Now, I do want to take a step back because I realized I was going to skip over something and I definitely didn't want to um, just because, you know, our, our last part of that uh, last part of that conversation, I think is very, very important. I do want to talk about, you know, BIM and civil, how, how we need to communicate better, how we can communicate better. I want to talk about some of the tools in our BIM toolbox that we can utilize for this. But taking a kind of step back to that, you know, thinking about what I've learned talking to different contractors um and and having these conversations one thing was was kind of interesting and on the point of communication one thing i learned that i that i I was actually pretty surprised to hear this because in my mind i i think that people want to get involved in the process as soon as possible right like in terms of you're you're a heavy civil contractor and you want to get your your the the files right and you want to get that data and you want to connect with it as soon as you can to start giving your people on site the data to go ahead and start moving, right? We want to get this going. Well, I learned that um, there, I mean, and this is, you know, continuous learning, but there is, we got to find that point where the addition of the construction crew or the construction team in this, in this, in this case, the heavy civil contractors, the dirt workers, the road, you know, pavers, um, at what point, do they start getting access to the design data, right? To, to start translating that to create the file type that's going to be going into that data, that, that you know, uh, oh gosh, the FC, the field controller, right? The controller for the, uh, the actual machine. Um, they, it, what I learned is, and this is actually, this was part of a story told to me, is they've learned that if they get involved too early, it costs them more in rework during the project because there jump are the gun. Exactly. If you changes happen. Gun, yeah. Yeah. While there are changes happening and you got somebody already out cutting grade or cutting a curb and up, oh, turns out this was changed. They've completely wiped this or this Island was here. Now it's gone. You know, th- there's so many different things that change. And of course, during construct or during the design development, I mean, in schematic design, design development, even into construction documentation, most of the time, we're still, we're, we're, I mean, it's very obvious, obviously minor adjustments when you get more into construction documentation, but there, there are still adjustments being made, right? There's still little things moving. Now, most of the time your foundation, like your, your exterior walls, your footprint is not going to change. Sometimes, you know, that does adjust, but Obviously, you know, what I'm what I'm learning and what I'm seeing is that we we have to have an open line of communication with all of the you know, with our team, with all the stakeholders and, you know, with each team, that handoff point or that that point where they get, intro, you know, kind of introduced to uh, the, the design work. When you bring them into that common data environment and give them access so their teams can start working. It has to be communicated on what that point is based off of your team's capabilities. I really think that's a big piece with it too, right? If, if you guys are already doing, you know, you're starting to do takeoff and things like that um, and, and starting to get a lot, an idea of the material. Okay. Yeah. You know, obviously that's a little bit more pre-construction tied into the actual construction, but um, we, we can get involved in different ways or in different points of that timeline Based yeah, but on the, your capabilities. But the dirt modelers have to get involved as soon as possible. Uh, yes, but not too soon. But not too soon. But the modelers. Um, uh, so we're talking about like moving dirt and stuff, and that's a costly endeavor. It's my. It's relatively easy, but it is a costly endeavor. Uh, diesel is. is not cheap. Um, but the issue is, we also have to recreate those dirt models just about every time. And if anybody doesn't know. Um, Here's a big issue for for heavy civil, um, heavy civil contractors. Um, 
you know, people that move Earth, they they either create their own dirt models or they uh, do it third party. And the data that they get coming from the civil engineer and surveyor and stuff like that, the surveyors usually got the, the coordinate system, but the civil engineer files um, are usually flattened. They get them yes. in a CAD file um, or, a PDF. or a PDF, and then they have to go in and recreate everything. And I've chatted with several uh, dirt modelers, and, and some of them are, most of them I will say they're okay with recreating them because they know the validity of the data. And part of it is, you know, if you've got a big zero zero in the center of your drawing, that that freaking uh, excavator, you know, that uh, greater blade is just going to take a freaking dive and start cutting in the middle of the site. And, yeah, um, dude. I mean, it's interesting because we've seen that on the, you know, the vertical, the BIM side as well. A lot of times, even even with like something as simple as a PDF, but with models, people will strip them down. They'll, you know, do a lot of things to, pr to try and protect their... It's well, just a long, it's just a timely process though, because they have to recreate yep. everything. So if you've got a change that happens, maybe an island gets updated or whatever, they, they're rebuilding that whole dirt model all over again. Exactly. Yes, dude. That's, and that's, you know, what I've seen is, like you said, a lot of times the very few contractors I, are actually taking it upon themselves to do that internally. A lot I, of people I, are sending that out to be created. So I worked with a local engineering firm here uh, that bought some of our TopCon tools specifically for exporting their civil 3D files out to a TP3 file format so that they could um, give... A TP3 for anybody listening and curious. Oh, yeah. That is Sorry, a go ahead. No, no, no. You're good. That's a TopCon um, positioning file format to go out to the machine. That literally is almost like the zip... It's almost like a zip file, but it's a combination of the line work of the surface and uh, and the actual coordinates that's yeah. what a tp3 file is yeah so your machine control file like they they literally did this so that they could they could start providing this as a service which is great you know hey look let the engineer assume uh, liability and responsibilities for for the that that, that uh dirt model they're now providing mm -hmm. it as a service it's it's kind of cool to see the the shift it's just it's so few and far between um, but it's such an easy thing for the, uh, you know, another service that engineering firms uh, can offer since they're already creating the model. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, putting their due diligence into it and making sure that, you know, you're not fluffing it with feature lines, that it actually has, you know, real geometry to it, real, real uh, data to it so that the yes, machines sir. know how to interpret it. Yes, sir. And kind of talking yeah. on that point as well, when we get it before we get into the dirt models and talking about civil and heavy civil applications when they're, when they're digging, you know, when they're, when they're pushing dirt. Um, it's funny, but I, I actually also got in, got a little, got to learn a little bit more about civil coordination and a lot or of the lack teams, thereof. Yeah. Or the lack thereof. Exactly. That's, that's what I've been seeing a lot. Like some teams like, oh no, like we, how, how do we coordinate this? How do we, how do we do clash detection for our DWGs? You know, and um, it, it's quite, and then you, if you talk about, hey, why don't we do coordination, you know, clash detection for the entire project? Let's start looking at these underground piping networks. Let's look at the, um, oh gosh, I can't even I'll think of the pipe other. interference. And yeah, every, yeah. Well, all of that kind of stuff, but how it would work with, um, with the actual BIM data and bringing all of those files together so you can look at the entire project and make sure that, you know, you're not running a piping network through a utility line that's coming in or, you know, we don't have an underground structure like a footing or a pier footing or anything like that, a, a pile cap that's actually so, going to be in the way of an underground piping network. So I do see this, the, you know, I see this on larger projects where they'll actually do uh real coordination with the site utilities you know like maybe on a microsoft project an airport job yeah you know yeah. um uh, you know um a large real project right they'll they'll do they'll do it for that stuff but um for you know the the average site going up i, I really don't see a lot of this i don't either I, a lot I, of the companies I, I talked to were not they weren't doing any type of coordination yeah. in that sense it was the other ones that I talked to, the bigger ones, in all honesty, that were actually using like the pipe networks and, and the, the um, oh gosh, the clash detection pretty much, interference, pipe interference. Interference in, check, yeah. Yeah, interference check 
And, um, you know, we started talking about Navis works and we talked about model coordination in the construction cloud. Um, so there are, there are, you know, tools out there for this, but again, do they do that internally? Are they actually managing it? Most of the time? No. I mean, in, in the, it depends because, you know, what their scope is, everything like that. But, um, yeah, dude, I found that was, that was, uh, that was quite interesting to learn that we're, we're still a little behind there. Uh, oh, we're, we're a lot behind in a lot of areas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. construction is chaos and no, no one standard fits everything as much as we'd like to try. That said, um, you know, the tools are out there. It's just trying to figure out how to get a use case for them um, to make them fit and make them talk, which, again, probably feeds into the next part of this conversation. Yes. Making yes, data sir. connect, because that's the other big thing is, yeah, we can map data files. But what about your 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 minute data, you know, let's talk about, um, you know, let's get out of the heavy silver room for a minute. Let's just talk about, um, uh, you know, contractors that need to uh, tie in assets or, or something mm -hmm. like that. Like, how do you map assets, whatever you call them in your system, like your own, if you're an equipment manager, you know, maybe it's, you know, robots or maybe it's uh, hammers, I, you know, whatever. Yeah, maybe trucks, maybe it's just maybe it's tools. Exactly. It could be anything. Really? Well, you got to make that data talk to whatever platform you're using, and you found some great tools on the back end that I want to, you know, just touch on real quick if you've got a few minutes. Like, um, I guess the one primarily one I'll let you talk about, but um, where you can map uh, pre-created APIs, essentially APIs that have already been opened up, uh, or you can pay to open up a firm's APIs and then have yep. them available so you can connect data and create, I guess you call them recipes. Yep, yep. So yeah. I've been using WorkAuto, and WorkAuto is an automation platform um, that really looks to integrate HTML web-based you know, uh, platforms. So your Oracles, your NetSuites, your Sage, your uh, Procores, your PlanGrid, Plan, you know, BIM 360, Autodesk Construction Cloud, uh, OneDrive, freaking, you know, SharePoint, you name it. But yeah, dude, I mean, that has been a huge, I've been diving into that quite a bit lately and seeing the benefit of it for our industry. But I mean, it, it's been very, very interesting to learn um, how to make these things communicate because, you know, I've been actually learning there are quite a few uh, companies out there, platforms that do have open-ended APIs and they have their API documentation posted right online. Now, Beneficially, of course, um, if we don't have to spend the time building that, uh, and that's the other piece about WorkAuto that you were mentioning there, they do have this library of current connections of, of these APIs and, and their endpoints that have already been built out. And a lot of times you can literally go in there and, and build out a recipe, right? And that recipe literally just dictates the steps of the flow of information, whether you want it to run on a trigger when something is updated, or if you, you know, you're scheduling it to do it every, every Friday at five or every, you know, couple weeks, what have you, once it gets that trigger, it moves through like this whole kind of chain of events that you kind of lay out in your recipe. And they've given us these custom connect, well, the, the, the library of full connections, essentially, that we can utilize that are out of the box. But then you also have the capability to make those talk with those, uh, well, essentially with those open, through those open-ended APIs, the ability to make calls to those API endpoints and, and pull to integrate that data, right? And that, that's huge. That has to be huge. I mean, that's with any, any platform, you know, we could talk about the data silos all day because well, now we're just, we, we, oh, pitched, we, we went through the issue of, this is partly our fault. Like we were pitching, breaking down data silos for the longest part of our time. But what ended up ultimately happening is we created uh, larger silos. Those uh, large okay. companies kept acquiring more and more companies and merging them into their own silo um, so that it was all within their silo and you had to be on their ecosystem and you couldn't you know, converse with somebody else's ecosystem or maybe they didn't think about opening their API to somebody else's ecosystem. So what we're left with is you're either in this company's silo or you're in this company's silo and there has to be a way to push and pull data between them. And you found that really good use case um, with some of your clients where you were actually helping them uh, map some of their existing systems to the APIs and you develop these recipes yep. for them. 
I've been finding more success, at least talking around uh, moving people off of one platform to another and keep carrying their legacy data by way of, you know, automation through these, through these recipes. Exactly, dude. Data migration is huge. And I mean, it's, it's, it's whether, you know, you have servers that you're moving off of or you're using a platform like SharePoint or OneDrive, Box, Dropbox. And, or if you're you know, just, you know, in Procore, you want to move to exactly. ACC, let us know. <laughs> we got <links. laughs> Right, right. Even, even with like PlanGrid. And I mean, it, it's, it's awesome. It's beneficial, I would say, because typically you, you lose that. You don't, well, you don't lose it, but it is a very tedious process to go through and download all of that information. Like, let's just say the documents, downloading all of those documents and, and storing them somewhere. And then having to upload them into the next platform. And then if you have any custom attributes, um, anything like that for when you're looking at that data, you have to try and translate that across. Then you can start looking at, okay, what about the, the metadata? Like, let's talk something like Procore or PlanGrid or Build, um, even BIM 360. If you have RFIs, if you have submittals, you know, things like that live in the system. They're not really a document that you can just download. It has all this metadata inside of it. Like with your RFIs, you know, <clears throat> the due dates, the descriptions, who it's assigned to, any references, all of that metadata. If you lose that, is it really worth transferring it over? No, right? Well, it depends. It, it, well, yeah. depends on how valuable that depend. metadata was and, and exactly. where you're at in the project. Yes, yes. Um, legacy and, projects, meh. Active projects, uh, depends on how far along you are. And if you're three months in, you're all, you'll, you'll live. But if you're, you know two years into a four-year project you ain't moving <laughs> sorry stay stay where you're at <laughs> right right exactly um but all that metadata has got to be it, it's valuable <clears throat> and it's got to be translated over and i mean yes a lot of times now we're seeing more export tools become available to pdf or excel but if you're translating into a whole nother platform, a lot of times, it, okay, sometimes it's good to take the PDF or Excel, but a lot of the times, if you can translate that metadata across, if we can take it from one platform, let's say Procore, and we want to create an RFI in Autodesk Build or in PlanGrid, you know, to be able to translate that across with all of that information is so valuable because if you're trying to have a person do this, dude, I, I, I kid you not, I worked on a project and they, need, they maybe had 80-some RFIs, and this was a project that was, I mean, it was kicking off. It wasn't even like, it wasn't hardcore into the, you know, midway through the project or anything. Me alone trying to translate those 80-some RFIs over, it took me well over four hours to just take the information from one system and put it into another. And that in itself, and then push them through the workflow if the RFIs were closed, or where, where they are in the workflow, who's all that kind of stuff. You're, you're taking a person or multiple people down just to be able to do that. Now, what's interesting is we also have that service in our industry. You have companies out there that will do the data migration for you, right? But it ain't cheap. Expensive. Exactly. <laughs> it is very, so, very expensive. I, I have an anecdote. My neighbor behind me, um, he does data migration and um, uh, server setups uh, for um, uh, government, we'll just say government and financial institutions. Um, and he told me, and this is pretty you know, funny to think about, the more valuable the data, the more expensive the services. And, and yes. I, I get that to a sense. But even if you're just moving the same amount of data as somebody else, just, just because it's more valuable, it automatically makes it uh, more expensive. And in construction, when you think about the CYA, all of these firms getting hacked and you needing access to your data and having stuff in the cloud and how beneficial that is and all that sort of stuff, um, that data means a lot to you because it's not if you get sued, it's when. Yes. But, you know, something. Well, well, that's. Those costs, they're, they're there in construction, and they're very absorbent. Absorbent mm -hmm. is probably not the word. I don't know the word. They're, they're, they're costly, guys. Yes, they're very, very costly. But the other piece that you got to think about that, you know, think about with this, is you have to bring that other firm, that other company, into your, your company. You have to sit down and spend time helping them to understand what you do and how you do it. And then you have to and help them understand. Exactly. And then you have to help them 
essentially understand the fields that you want to translate across and why and how and and which ones are more important for you and what you want and at what points do you want this it is a whole process right now of course yeah. even if you did that internally it's going to be a process but if you make a team to do that internally you know where the data is you know where it wants where it needs to go and if you have a tool that is so that is simple to use in terms of literally just saying okay I want data to go from my OneDrive. I want this folder or all of this, this stuff from this project or this folder specifically to translate and upload here. I want to create new folders in this platform and I want to upload this data here and it just does it. And then of course, if anything new is added because that's the other thing a lot of people don't think about. You still have a lot of users and yes, people will say, we're going to do a hard stop and we're just going to move over. Yeah, that doesn't, that does not usually work very well. I mean, obviously there have been people that have Sub, done it. Subcontractors, yes. GCs, uh, it's harder. Exactly. And it, it's, it's at that point, you start again, kind of seeing the, the value of being able to translate that information across. But again, if you can do that yourself, if, if you give, you get that tool and you say, I want to connect this here and this is what I want it to do. This is the field that I want it to map, or this is, I have to have this field that's create a custom attribute, you know, different things like that. You can start putting that together yourself and let it run. And again, with, yeah. with having your users that potentially still go back and, oh, somebody added a folder to this. I don't have to go back through and, and write a whole nother recipe or rerun, you know, essentially you can set those triggers so that as soon as something is added, it's automatically downloaded and translated over here. I mean, having that tool for yourself, and in all honesty, the thing I will say about WorkAuto is I do love the user interface. They really, I mean, I, I, I understand some coding. I will be 100% honest with all of you that I am not a developer. Not well, let's, a developer. let's not scare anybody away. When he says coding, um, you know, the amount of coding that you're doing, it's not even to the level of Dynamo. Dynamo is way nope. more intense than work out yes. in my mind. Yes, 100%. It really is. Like, I, I was I was a little, um, well, I was a little cautious getting into work auto at first because I'm like, man, this is a platform where I have to code to make all these things come together. Like, this seems nuts. But then I started getting into the libraries and I started getting into the custom connectors. And then I did some research on API documentation. If they have open-ended APIs, such as Autodesk with the construction cloud, I've been able to go online, find their API documentation, see for each, you know, let's say build, right? For assets, sheets, for RFIs, for doc files or documents. Um, I've, I'm able to see the API documentation for each one of those endpoints. They'll put the call, they'll tell you what you need to write or how the schema needs to look. Like even making an HTTP connector, like a custom connector to, you know, connect out to these different platforms, they're starting to make it a lot easier to do. Like it's so easy to understand. I mean, obviously you got to learn a little bit about the language in terms of this is a post or this is a get or a patch, you know, what that means. But in all reality, they make it very, very simple for anybody to do. Um, now, again, there sounds are like you're selling work auto, man. Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I, yeah, I, I pretty much I, I, I feel like I am a salesman because I, I do love the product. I love the way that it gives me the capability to connect, like even I'm just for my the president. I'm a user. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> no, you're good, dude. I'm like I was I was even getting into it because, you know, at first I look at connecting platforms and different things that we do, like translating data from Procore to build, you know, stuff like that, or plan grid to build. But then I started looking at it like, how can this help me in my everyday? You start seeing that I can create scripts to run, you know, Outlook or connect Calendly to Outlook or NetSuite to Outlook and, and all this, these different, these other pieces that you might utilize on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, in, in your job, but you don't think about like, okay, well, I need, I needed to have something for Revit or I needed to have something for CAD. No, even these things that you use every day on, on, on a day-to-day -day basis, this automation can help you really start making things easier. I mean, yes, connecting data um, from one platform to another or translating it, but also, you know, just in general. Now, 
the the other big piece I'll say, Joe, because you kind of brought you, you brought it up a little bit ago, and I'm pretty excited about it. Is you know, like these connections to the well, let's say the field in this case, the actual data, the actual uh, uh, controller in the actual you know m machine in the uh, dozer or in the grader, or the loader or excavator, being able to connect those to a cloud platform and being able to, because I mean, if it's, if it's a web-based platform, like I said, any web-based platform with an open-ended API or at least API documentation that you can connect to, it gives you the capabilities to send this data to different places that we never really thought of. So, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably a good point to end it on. We tied it back to the machine control. Um, Starting to eke toward the end of the hour here, and I, I just wanted to make sure that we had time to, to follow up on a few other things. So uh, to, to recap what we've talked about so far, um, you know, BIM for the field, talking about the data, the, the lack of translation and standardization tools that are out there, um, and just talking about how we can better understand and talk to our uh, counterparts to um, make sure that we're giving them the, the, the best data possible, um, and connecting data, as, as Dave just went over, uh, is very, very important, whether that's between, um, you know, vertical spaces, uh, vertical and horizontal, it doesn't matter. Um, whenever we're talking about different segment types, there seems to be um, terminology issues, there seems to be platform differences yes. issues, whether you're using HCSS or, or build. I mean, what, what, how do you make the two talk, right? They're two different things, and, and you brought up a good point with connecting them. Uh, but now that we're talking about uh, platform, cloud platforms and stuff like that, I also wanted to make sure that we're talking about, and we have time for this, uh, the Bluebeam changes, because yep. they tie into all this as well. They're now a project management solution with their offerings, uh, kind of a light version, but they're they're trying to build something there. And I'd love for you to chat on this change. Yeah, dude. So Bluebeam Cloud was um, pretty impressive. It's where I started to see the Atlas and Project Rover kind of. Um, come together and uh, a lot it, of it was nice benefits. to see geolocation finally. Oh included. yeah, definitely geolocation and the ability to overlay your PDFs on a layer on on Google Maps like that. That was a very very cool yeah. feature. Run through, do RFIs or punches, stuff like that. Um, the field markups though seem to be lagging. Like you have to do it under punch, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, there there you do if you're if you're doing it there. Now, in terms of on sheets and, and documents, things like that, uh, oh, 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 in the field making markups on the mobile device, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yes, in the field on the mobile device, so on my phone, I've downloaded it so I could test it. And yeah, that is essentially the markup that you would use, but but I will, I will play devil's advocate here, or, or right. at least let's, um, let's say I'm gonna play the- At least educate the, me, man, I gotta know. I gotta know the well, reasoning. Yeah, well, I'll play the uh, the other side of the coin because I see, you know, obviously being able to place clouds and um, callouts and stuff like that in the field to be able to utilize Bluebeam's markups, like the tool chest and things like that that you have would be would be great. But there is a huge benefit to utilizing something like a punch, and I, I often compare these to issues in the Autodesk Construction Cloud. Um, the reason I talk about this is because, you know, usually with a markup, especially in Bluebeam, you have to put data into that markup, not just the text, you know, but your, your subject, if you have any custom columns, if you guys want to start assigning responsibilities, start putting some automation into it, or even some filtering capabilities to find that data faster. With a, well, that's with a why I feel like uh, a standardized tool chest that you can push out to the field would be more beneficial. And I'll, I'll talk about why that's more beneficial, but I'll let you finish your, your point. Sorry. Well, no, no, you're all good, dude. Um, I, I, wanna, I definitely want to hear your argument to this as well. But I feel like the punch, you know, being, I mean, it, the name of it is kind of misleading. It, it can be used for a punch. But in the sense of when you're walking around the site and you want to place a markup, uh, um, a punch is going to work for that. The punch will give you the capability to put in like the 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 title or your subject. It gives you the description, your your comments, right? It, it gives you the capability to actually assign this issue. There's punch item, and it gives you that status. And yes, as you said, you know, if you put a lot of that into your tool sets, 
being able to utilize those tools in the field that are already pre-built are awesome. But so, so uh, let me ask, stop there and ask. That. Let me stop there and ask you a question. All right. So um, the old Bluebeam workflow studio was that we could have markups in studio and export that markups list, and you can actually bring it into your localized document. That now this is a mobile app and it treats them differently. Is there any connectivity to be able to map your punch to a markup so that when you're on the desktop, it treats it the same? Hmm. And, and and I'll ask this because there's there's a reason why. But, but go ahead. So no, no, you, you I mean, no, there I, I have not currently seen a way okay. to map a punch to a comment like the references that we do have in like the construction cloud and build. Okay, so the reason why I asked that question, and uh, it's because of uh, Rob Gadbaugh's tool, uh, Finish Line, where you can actually bring your markups directly into your uh, Revit or your CAD environment and bring them back to the, the drawing, not just the PDF. Because the PDF is great, but if I can communicate that to the person who actually has to make the change in the drawing itself, dude, that's huge. And then getting back to the other point with uh, Rob's tool, um, you know, there's the ability to map your your families or your your um, tool chest to your family. So yes, uh, in Revit. So like if you're placing a markup in Bluebeam in the field and you're saying no, this wall needs to be over here, when they go to Revit and he can actually use his tool and translate that that markup to move the family itself, it would be cool, man. Oh no, I completely agree. Sorry, I'm thinking I mean, of Rob, man. I'm thinking of my boy Rob. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. You know, when you're when you're talking about something like that, it obviously changes the conversation because if yeah. you have markups that are mapped to Revit families, that when you bring it in, it automatically brings that type of family. Obviously, I mean that is huge, right? And the big, uh, I mean, and I will tell you that using, uh, let me actually, I don't think. Let me double check this because I was just thinking about that while we're on the documents versus drawings. Um, because I've, there, there is a difference in Bluebeam Cloud of documents versus drawings. Documents is kind of like in Procore or Build. It's like your files where you're storing a lot of your documents. You can put folders in there, that kind of stuff. Drawings is just like sheets in, in Build and Procore and Plan Grid. It's where it tears apart that PDF and um, puts it into individualized sheets. Yeah, it runs OCR on them to pull, you know, the sheet name, sheet number off of it and stuff like that. I'm glad that that part is at least standardized in the industry, that even a new tool oh, yeah. being created does that. Because that, that to me seems to be like the, the biggest no-brainer. You know, separate your sheets, run OCR on it, automate that stuff. Uh, makes life a little bit easier so you can search for that stuff later on. Oh, I and definitely And makes managing, agree. managing sheets even easier, right? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Now, I wanted to check this out really quick because I wanted to get, oh, you only have drawings. We do not have documents on the mobile. And add a markup is either a punch or an RFI. Yep, you were right, sir. We cannot even get into the, uh, the documents portion of it. I was gonna tell a lot of our listeners like the, with, with on, the, on the desktop version, your tool sets from review do translate into the cloud. So you can place markups like that onto the drawings, but it has to be on the web. It's not in the mobile. Yeah. Hmm. Now, the curious thing is though, I have You didn't go to um, XCOM this year, did you? No, no, I didn't go to XCOM. Yeah, this would have been like a good one to ask. Yeah, it would have been. I was going to say the attachments for a punch are attach photo and take photo. So it does not look like we can make any references back to markups either. Now, it would be cool to watch the roadmap and see if that is coming up, because, dude, if we can if we can really combine that with with uh, Rob's product over there at uh, markup X finish line, I, I think. Uh, I think that would be insane. That'd be awesomely valuable for anyone to be. I mean, it, it, in all reality, dude, you know, we we talk a lot about BIM and how valuable the data is and things like that and how, you know, awesome it is to visualize. But our industry standard 
is EDF. A lot of people out in the field, a lot of guys, girls out in the field. Static are... snapshots. Oh, exactly. Those are mine. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean. But well, it's the contract documents, right? Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. What's your contract? Your contract is a snapshot in time. Your contract is this is what it needs to be. And it doesn't need to be something that changes. And if it doesn't need to be changes, all parties have to prove on it. It has to be legally documented. So therefore, the idea is that PDFs in general should reflect that because um, it, they're phases in time. Um, yes. But during an active construction project, I mean, is that so? Um, I, That's I don't good, know. It is, actually. but it isn't. Yeah. Yes, it is, but it isn't because as changes are made, obviously you have one picture during that entire timeline. It's already oh, project it's literally, yeah. It, it's 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 um oh gosh, I cannot think of the word I need. I want to use obsolete. That is literally obsolete. The minute that they print the PDF and they go back into Revit or their design software and make changes, that yeah. PDF is or that that document is then obsolete. I mean, obviously for your, your checkpoints for your 60%, 75%, 100%, you know, all that kind of stuff. All right, cool. I, I mean, I understand. But yeah. at the same time, dude, yeah. Well, contractual milestones, I guess, is the point yes. I was trying to ineloquently make, um, is, is that they're snapshots of the project in time, and you have a deliverable for those projects. And your deliverable should be a PDF, should not be what you're updating. That said, once you actually get into the active construction site, and we're talking about as-building or changes that happen along, that stuff needs to be more, you know, uh, quickly updated and maybe um, sharing, you know, the federated model and all that stuff just makes life a little bit easier. Right. Oh, dude, I'm I'm all about Autodesk's freaking new form of PDF from like the Revit models. I am. All oh, the about lightweight. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's yeah. Publishing cool. sheets, dude. And then you can literally click on any anything in the door, the wall, anything in that that sheet and it literally brings up all the metadata from that from revit it's like you're looking at a 2d view inside of revit but you're in yeah. the construction cloud i love that fact even though in my mind i mean because I, I i made this association just a minute ago when we publish that revit model to update that data within the construction cloud it's almost i mean that is a snapshot you know yeah. people are going to go back into that model they're going to be synchronizing they're going to be working that publish is a snapshot in time of that yeah. model. There's this weird balance you've got to do because sometimes you do want a snapshot. I don't want to see every design iteration that the architect is messing around with and they're trying oh, yeah. out. I want to see like when it's when I've actually got a stake in this and this is actually my turn to actually go through and and do this. And if you're working out some you know value engineering later on or something like that you know just give me the finished one i don't need to see what you're working through in the different iterations I need to see what's yes. agreed on so i can make the necessary changes but that said man i feel like this is probably the good way to end the podcast by finishing with autodesk university man yes. um we've kind of dove through the weeds and we'll tear the spot more we're, we're going to start doing regular again so, sorry guys for the long delay here uh COVID several times kids on the way new offices, just a lot of stuff going on. But, all right, man, so a lot of people have been bashing AU this year, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not jumping on this train. Uh, I'm, I have my own reasons for disliking it, but they were totally separate the environment. I threw out my back, and I did not have a lot of fun. Uh, and the one day I really did drink, I uh, had a muscle relaxer, and I was just done after three beers. Man. <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a, a crazy night for me. Um, so that said, man, um, what did you think about New Orleans as the uh, hosting facility? I mean, I love it's not Nola. Vegas, but what's your yeah, I love no, I mean, I loved the thought of going down there and getting some Cajun Creole food. I am a fat boy at heart, so if I can get some freaking Cajun Creole, like some jambalaya, some drunken chicken, red beans, and rice, and crawfish, etouffee. Like I am all about beignets, some beignets, yeah, some dude. fat boy food. Oh man, so that and and being able to go down, you know, to to uh, Bourbon Street, being or yeah, Bourbon Street. I kept thinking Fremont, that's Vegas. Bourbon Street and uh, Frenchman Quarter, the Frenchman Quarter, Frenchman Street. That was an awesome experience. Like, I mean, in all reality, in a lot of the big cities that you go to, you got to kind of be aware of your surroundings. Um, there, I was a little bit more, I was definitely more anxious than Vegas, which was quite interesting because bad shit happens in Vegas too. Um, but, uh, 
I, I, I liked the, I liked the city. I think the venue was very, very interesting. It was huge. It's like, a mile. Yeah. Yeah, mile dude. Bad for my back. So I, yeah. I was, I, I was like kicking myself for not if getting a If you didn't have back school. issues when you got there, you had yeah. back issues when you left or blisters and shit. Yeah. Like, man. You know what the difference is, I think, between Vegas and New Orleans? Um, so in Vegas, when you leave your the, the hosting facility, you're pretty much dumped right out on the main strip. And there are it's just crowded of people like there's just there's nothing that's going to happen. Maybe a pickpocket or something, but nobody's holding a gun up at you. You know, you know, there's just too many people. Right. Um, I mean, not saying that, that that doesn't happen, but there's just so many people there. That it doesn't happen. But in New Orleans, I feel like you almost have to walk down a back alley to get to freaking anywhere that you were going. Yep. Yes. And it was it was kind of nuts. I mean, it was it wasn't bad to walk around, but I felt a lot better taking Ubers. Oh, yeah. I Ubered everywhere, but I had to. I'm yes. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, Sorry, definitely. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, I was I, I, I had an interesting experience at my hotel. I will uh I'll leave that one off of here. Oh yeah. One. Jeez, man. Oh. Yeah. That that right there kind of turned my stump. Like obviously, I mean I would just find I'm never going back to that hotel again. I would go back to NOLA. Um I, I and that's what I put on, you know, they Autodesk actually sent out a survey and everything yeah. and asked people kind of what they thought. And I'm like, I'd go back. But I'm a vendor, I'll go back. I yeah, mean it's, exactly. it is what it is. We're we're there to make it make the connections and I enjoyed the connection piece of it. As far as enjoying the city, I didn't get to do that this time. I would love to do it next time. So I'm I'm impartial on going back. That said, if it is in Vegas or Nashville or Atlanta, I'd love to see Nashville or, or Atlanta. Yeah, I'm all over a Nashville one. Let's make that happen. But I feel like Vegas, the the way that um, Vegas is stacked on top of this, so like we were in a convention center, and it's you know like four freaking levels. So like you weren't mm-hmm. walking a mile in land to get your class. You were just walking. 30 feet to the escalator, taking it up four floors and then walking another 30 feet to your class. It just seemed like you could get from your uh, prefab level one class to your prefab level two class or whatever, just a lot faster instead of the layout of this facility where they'd have just spread out, just random classes all over the facility, just whatever room was was uh, more easily available, I guess, for the class yeah. or class size. Yeah. Not looking yep. at the the distance between them blew my mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the, and, and the, the other piece I would say as for like Vegas, um, is that everything, all the restaurants, the bars, everything is right there. Like even if it's if it's it's not a bad walk, it's all right there. In NOLA, look, like it was spread out. It was. There's a reason why people have moved from uh rural I mean we I'm a you and me we're country boys at heart. We like rural areas, but there's a reason why we live in a certain area where we can actually get to other places very quickly. Like I live in the middle of a suburban area that's in the middle of a rural area. Don't get me wrong, but like everything is within you know two minutes of each other. Um, It's just nice and convenient to be that way. Even you know same thing when you're hosting a convention. It's nice to be. Um, able to get to one thing or another at any time. And the fact that there's 10 or 15,000 people for this one event, we're not all piling into the same 10 restaurants because there's a thousand of them within 30 feet of, of any venue that we were there at. So in Vegas, that is. Yes. So I don't know. It just seemed to be like more befitting to a larger audience, I guess. Uh, although New Orleans could encompass us, it just seemed like to actually you know, break off into groups, we were all venturing out, you know, further away. Oh, yeah. And I love, I love Autodesk, but uh, the, uh, the food mishap, that was, <laughs> that, I, I that was an experience. I, you look, man, so people complained about the first day where they, they were, the food mishap for our listeners is, the fir- so the first day they ran out of food, and the second day uh, we got box lunches as leftovers. But the box lunches, I think, were meant for the vendors or for people that were just on the run. But the food misstep on the first day, what people didn't didn't take into consideration, or maybe Autodesk wasn't vocal enough about, was that if you did not eat and you still needed food, any of the facilities on site at the convention center, go get it and put it on Autodesk tab. I saw that they put out an email after that first day that let them know, you know let us know that second day 
if you know you need to stop at one of the other places, you know, they will pay for it. So I thought yeah. that was really, really awesome. And they did adjust to it very well. I mean, honestly, there was I don't think there was anything else, any anything else they could have done. I don't honestly know of any other way they could have handled it better. I think well, not Autodesk, uh, but but the facility itself. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they underprepared, or maybe uh, they weren't given accurate numbers. I, I we don't know. We're we're not on that side of things. We can't even speculate. Um, but that said, you know, it, it set the tone day one. It set the tone. For me, the biggest disappointment was the last day's event. You know, historically, oh, we were spoiled. Yeah. Run out of dang freaking you know little promenade man the yep. Riverwalk area you know all the bars and restaurants are included they got you know guards there so you got you know only Autodesk and, uh, personnel or uh, people there for the AU event people you gotta yep. have your yeah a, AU people that's the terminology right uh, the formal terminology uh, so you gotta have a badge to get through and then once <laughs> you have a badge dude your world is unlocked there's like catering everywhere there's drunk guys doing push-up okay. competitions uh, <laughs> dueling karaoke <laughs> bars. A nod to our first year, like four years ago, whatever it was, yeah. doing the uh, the podcast, man. That's how when this started, I guess, around then. Uh, yeah, the the karaoke, karaoke, dueling piano places, like all that stuff was just it was such a fun experience. And then you know, if you get bored, uh, which does happen from time to time, there's always the excitement of the casino. And yes, you don't have to, you know, it sucks losing money, but don't go in there and you know waste two two thousand bucks, you know, drop. Drop twenty bucks, play play a, a hand of roulette or something. Games there are cheap. It's like five dollar hands, uh, depending on the hour of the day, I guess. But it 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 just gets um, it just seems like there's always something to do. There's always something yep. to go out and do. It just gets um, exciting because no matter what, you always have something fun to go find. Uh, I agree. I agree, dude. And I, you know, it's funny. I always look at gambling like I'm paying for my time. And the longer you, you you should because you are not very good at it. I am not good at it. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. Dude, if I put twenty bucks in and that lasts me, you know, twenty minutes to a half an hour, an hour, I'm cool. You know, like that is what it is. I paid twenty bucks for that time because that's I have to have that mindset. I can't go in thinking like, yeah, yeah I'm gonna make this two hundred dollars turn into four because that two hundred dollars will turn into zero, <laughs> and then you walk out disappointed. And then I'll turn into bank overdraft fee or not uh, the ATM fees that <laughs> ATM are like twenty dollars in Vegas. Yeah, Jeez. dude. Oh my god. Yeah. But fun times, man. Well, hey, bud. Uh, this has been fun. I appreciate you know uh, making time. I know we've got busy lives going on, but love to uh, get this back on our calendars and start doing uh, at least starting out. Let's do one month and uh, give our, our listeners something to uh, tune into again. Yeah. Dude, and you know, shout out to Eric DeLeon. You know, I saw him out uh, at AU. DeLeon. Yeah, dude, he's a great guy. CAD, CAD Manager Confessions podcast, if any of you guys are uh, interested in that, great podcast. But dude stopped out because he's been doing his podcast for a while, right? And Joey and I, we hit this spot and we're trying to figure out what to do, what's going to be valuable. And then, of course, you're busy with life and things like that. So I kind of asked him, I'm like, man, how how do you keep up with this? How do you How do you do your podcast? And um, he actually let me know, you know, a lot of times we overthink it, that uh, the podcast in itself, like, obviously, we want it to be valuable to our listeners and stuff like that. But it doesn't have to be this whole hour long episode where we dive deep dive into these workflows. It can be 30 minutes. It can be 20 minutes, 45. My, you know. my favorite podcast are mindless ramblings of comedians. That's it. Yes. Yep. Two Bears, One Cave, Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do listen to, you know, a lot of self-improvement stuff, but my favorite ones are just, you know, some, you know, learning about somebody, telling telling their story about their life and just talking. It doesn't have to be a deep dive into anything. And I exactly. that's right. We overthink it, but But hey, man, I got to jump. I appreciate your time today. We'll get this up, set up this weekend. Thank you, fans. We, uh, uh, thanks for, you know, holding on. This episode's, you know, long time coming, so appreciate it.